Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And Brett, Wildcats got one. The transfer portal giveth to Arizona. They picked up a guard, Justin Kyer, who was most recently of Georgia. Before that was with George Mason. Seems like a combo guard. Fairly talented. And just another addition to Tommy Lloyd's first Arizona roster. Yeah, I know you and I were in text conversations kind of having some some thoughts. And we've talked about it on the pod of you know, where the, the gaps and the depth in the roster were. And, you know, for, for missing out on some guys that uh, I'm blanking on the Gonzaga guy that, uh, that Cook. went elsewhere. Yeah. yeah he went Aaron to Georgia Cook. actually. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> it's it, funny how things work out. It's um, all connected. <laughs> the dominoes, they fall. Um, but yeah, you know, for, for what we have talked about as the two most concerning things in terms of depth, uh, for me, this was close to what you could reasonably hope for out of the transfer portal in terms of a guy that can give you quality minutes. But for me personally, he seems like the, a, a combo guard in the truest sense of the word mm-hmm. in that he does a little bit of everything, maybe doesn't do anything super well, but has the skill set. He's played some minutes at the point. He's probably more of a perimeter guy, but he is at least somebody that can facilitate a little bit, have a, you know, play that point guard spot even in spot minutes, which to me, like that skill set is that skill set flexibility is very valuable when it comes to depth. Cause right now in the, in the top eight, like Kyra's probably not playing a ton of minutes, but if somebody gets in foul trouble or gets hurt, that flexibility of skill set is really where your depth shows up. Yeah. It yeah. Makes me feel good about it. Yeah. And that's what you look at it too. Like right now, Kirk Cruz is still the starting point guard. It looks like, right. They haven't found another point guard to replace him. Kyra does seem like more of a combo guard. He's six, four, Shot nearly 37% from three last season. Averaged about 10 points, four rebounds, two and a half assists, nearly two steals. You know, if he's more of a Jamal Baker type of point guard or a Terrell Brown type of point guard, and I, I'll even say Kadeem Allen, and that might be, that's obviously, I'm not saying he's as good or those types of players, but guys who, they're not point guards by definition. They're not true point guards. They're not TJ McConnell, not Parker Jackson Cartwright. They're not Nico Mannion. But they can handle 10 minutes there if you need them to. They can handle 15 minutes there. And with this type of line, one thing that we kind of we just don't know until we see it is the offense they're running with Tommy Lloyd. Like Sean Miller's offense, the point guard, especially James Akinjo, was dribble, dribble, dribble. He was creating everything. And yeah. it was we've seen that with other point guards, too. That's more Sean Miller's offense. From what it sounds like, what we think the Tommy Lloyd offense will be, more free-flowing, more guys, just quick passes, you know, crisp decision-making like that, where you may not need a TJ McConnell type of point guard. You know, I'm not saying that, like, they need Kirk Cusa to be good. Like, that's a big part of this team's chances is if he takes a step forward and is a starting caliber point guard for a Pac-12 team. But in terms of the overall depth, a guy like Kyer who can come in and be a 1-3 to three probably, you know, depending on what the lineup looks like. If he's hitting three-pointers, he gets more minutes. If he, there's foul trouble, he gets more minutes. Whatever it is, there's flexibility with an addition like him. Also experience, right? That's the other thing. I During the article, uh, Bruce Pascoe's, He's played in, he started 95 total games 
and then start at George Mason and then start 25 last season at Georgia. This is a guy who has more experience than anybody on the roster and most of the rest of the roster combined, you know, at the college levels. So that's some type of player where, like, it doesn't seem like a bad pickup right now, but when the season starts, it might look even better. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the experience thing because that was the other point I was going to bring up. That you know, for a team that has a lot of unknowns, you you know, Kyer's got a you know he's a known quantity, right? And he mm-hmm. has some experience. He's been around the block. Yeah, uh, he knows what the expectations are uh, of of college basketball. Maybe more than somebody like Shane Noel coming in, right? Um, you, it's it's going to be a little bit more variable. Um, it's and I think that experience, that maturity, plus like probably at least a maybe slightly above average defender that also shot, you know, in the high 30% from three mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of diverse skill set, that that flexibility. I think, you know, you mentioned a lot of those guys. I think he's probably somewhere between it, Jamal Baker and Kadeem Allen from what I was seeing of, a, of his highlights and kind of stats, like ish. Yeah. Um, maybe, a, you know, maybe a, a bigger, less scoring Kadeem Allen or a, a, you know, a little more defense Jamal Baker kind of player. Um, and like, this is one of those additions that's not going to make or break your team or roster. But, you know, I, I've talked in the past of how the most, you know, people tend to overrate one skill players a lot and underrate well-rounded guys. And Kyra seems like the guy that's well-rounded. Right. Yeah. And that, that I, it would not be surprising to me if we look back at the end of the season and he ends up being kind of one of those glue guys that kind of, you know, it's a piece that you can move around. You can flex between positions, play defense, hit an open shot, uh, facilitate a little bit and really kind of make sure that Arizona's floor next season doesn't drop too much. If somebody, if Kirk Carissa's twists an ankle <laughs> or isn't as good as you hope he is or that everyone, sure. everyone thinks he can be. And, that's like what I'm interested in now is obviously every player they get when like Shane Noel that was announced. I think it was probably between the last show. His high school coach was like, yeah, he's still going to Arizona. So we can pencil him in as a, a Sean Miller recruit who's sticking with Tommy Lloyd. But everyone else they're adding, everyone else that's coming in is coming in for Tommy Lloyd to play for Tommy Lloyd. So we're going to get an idea of what type of players he's going after. Now, granted, Justin Kyer is a he's a one and done. He's a sixth year senior, the super duper senior after the COVID year and everything. And he has played at, you know, he's in the SEC with Georgia. So it's not like he hasn't played at this level. He went from just George Mason to Arizona. But just the type of player that he is, it's almost like you can look at the roster and say, what do they need? Probably if he's can play like he did at Georgia, that type of player. Someone who can handle those positions, handle some minutes at point guard. Because if he's on the floor with, say, Dalen Terry, Pell Larson, you know, without Kirk Carissa, there's enough ball handlers probably to get the job done, to run this offense. But what I keep coming back to is we just don't know exactly what the offense looks like. So if Tommy Lake goes out and gets someone, we can somewhat assume that they're a fit for his offense in some capacity. You know, whether it's as mm-hmm. a point guard like we're used to seeing them under Sean Miller or whether it's like just that scoring guard off the bench or whatever it is, we can assume that Tommy Lloyd identified Justin Congrand. They tried to get Ty Ty Washington. There were rumors that they were after Cook, who ended up going to Georgia. Like there's other players that they were after and maybe some we didn't hear about that they didn't get, but they didn't have to bring in Justin Kyer, right? And they chose to go after him. They were able to land him. And for a lot of the handwringing that's gone on over, can Tommy Lloyd get players to come to Tucson? Like I know this isn't a five-star high school athlete. You know, he's not Ty Ty Washington, but it's still someone who wanted to play his final season somewhere. And he chose to do it at Arizona with a brand new head coach with the no guarantee of a starting spot. You know, so whatever Tommy Lloyd sold him on, like it, you don't feel bad about this sign, like this pickup. You can't. 
No, and I and I think it it's he's the kind of player and adds the depth that allows guys like Pell Larson to probably stick more to their natural. You know, I th- I think Pell Larson has some experience playing the point, but I'd probably rather have Kyer filling spot minutes and letting Pell Larson stay at the two rather than playing the one. Sure, sure. Um, and you know, I think this. You know, I think Dale and Terry is going to be one of the critical guys that you see develop because, like, I have the hot take that he might get as many minutes at the one and the four as he does at the three <laughs> this year, <laughs> depending because, on the lineups. Yeah, yeah, and and depending on what happens with the you know the remaining scholarships, if they if they fill all those spots, you know, there's to me, you know, we've had conversation about this. I still think there's a pretty concerning hole in the in the in the power forward position, and maybe Dale and Terry can fill that in spot minutes, but I don't know if you want him to being getting 20 minutes a game at the four. But I, you know, I think he's actually almost better suited for the one. But between Kyer and and Terry and Larson, you can kind of take a backup point guard by committee approach mm-hmm. that you're not necessarily moving too many people out of their optimal position to just f- fill that that facilitator role. Uh, and of course, it depends on what, like you said, it depends on what the offense looks like. It's not going to be the Akinjo ball heavy probe offense that Sean Miller's offense kind of became last year. But we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, um, and and we'll you know so we'll see. I it, it's it's a in my mind it's it's going to be an underrated pickup, even though it's not necessarily going to be a game changer or anything anybody gets excited about. But I think it'll be one of those low key things that adds a lot of value to the roster in terms of that versatility. Yeah, you hope that he doesn't need to start, or he comes in, he's so good he has to start, right? Like, like that's the idea. But otherwise, right now he's a depth pickup, and you add it, you add him to a roster that. I don't want to say it's starting to take shape because it's largely put together. <laughs> you know, by the time we'll be able to keep most of the guys that they needed to keep and picked up a few players. Like there's eleven guys that are under scholarship now. You got Kirk Riesa, Ben Matherin, Tubellis, Dale and Terry, Coloco, the other Tubellis, so the Tubelli, Umar Ballo, Shane Noel, Pell Larson, Adama Ball, and Justin Kyer. You look at it and you're right, there is seemingly a hole at power forward course if Ballo and Coloco are legitimate centers you have more centers than most programs have so in terms of like bigs like we don't know what this offense is going to look like it might be more like a four guards you know with a big guard like maybe Dale and Terry manning the power forward quote unquote the traditional four spot and then a center like we don't know but yes it would be nice to see one more forward who you can count like a power forward type or even like a small forward who can play power forward you know not like a shooting guard who can play small forward like dale and terry but the other way around maybe like a three four as opposed to a two three but just it's not a bad roster like you can find holes in it mostly it's just lack of experience you know yeah. most if, if every player is as good as everyone thinks they can be this is a damn good basketball team next year even without another forward but that's a yeah. lot of ifs that's a lot of anticipation it's a lot of like until you see it, you can't be confident it's going to be there. But top to bottom, the roster doesn't look bad at all. Yeah, I think as of now, if you look at the roster, top to bottom, if all goes well, everybody even just takes a, 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 a expected level of jump in their production or you know their abilities, like the Dale and Terry's, the Kirk Carices, and they at least meet expectations, shall we say. Uh, and nobody gets hurt, nobody gets in foul trouble. I think that's a, a very highly competitive roster, you know, kind of analogous to getting the combo guard with the flexibility uh, that I, I've talked about with Kyer, and also that allows Adama Ball to probably redshirt because that guy, you know, he needs to he needs to put on about thirty pounds so a, a stiff breeze doesn't knock him over. 
Pac-12 refs won't call that charge no matter what, no matter how strong the breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, the, the one in this is kind of, to, to some extent it's nitpicking, but like, you know, you look at Zulus Tabellas, Christian Coloco and Balo, those are three legitimate front court players. But my concern there isn't necessarily the guys that can fill minutes. Um, and even if you throw Dale and Terry in there, I'm not sure, even if you count Dale and Terry in there as the backup power forward, you've seen enough uh, threat to score in that force right. beyond Tabellus. And, you know, I kind of I, I kind of think Dale and Terry and Kirk Carissa's development is going to take this roster where to, to the next level or not. Uh, and if Dale and Terry becomes a threat to score uh, and can fill in spot minutes at the four, then my concerns at the four become less. Because right now I just look at that and I say, when, when Azulis Tabellus comes out, who's a threat to score in the front court? <laughs> and I don't think there is really much of any at right. all. And then you're utterly dependent on outside shots falling or the offense just being so effective and getting easy shots that when you get into conference play, that's a that's a risky gamble to make, in my opinion. Um, but if you can get somebody that, you know, even isn't going to be like, like just like Kyra, maybe not a fundamental game changer, but somebody that can fill those minutes um, you know, you know, come back, Jordan Brown. If nothing <laughs> I was going to say threat, that guy who's there, probably. You know, you know, I'd, I'd, if we had Jordan Brown back on the roster, uh, I'd, I'd actually feel really confident in how this roster was constructed in both depth and and, exp- and experience and skill set. Um, that to me is like, if I was going to, I, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative because I do think the roster is very good. But if there was a way it was going to break and fail and underperform, that would be my highest likelihood point of uh, concern. Oh, and I think that's absolutely fair because, like, Tubelis, Azulis Tubelis is excellent. Of course, if he's the only low post threat, it's going to be a little bit easier to deal with, unless maybe the outside shooting is that much better. If Kirk Carissa is shooting 40% from three. you got Pell Larson shooting 40% from three. These guys can rain threes, and, yeah, maybe you can get away with a little bit less skill in the post, right? I mean, that's that's the best-case scenario. And in a way, that's what I think Arizona fans have been wanting for years is better outside shooting if they can get it. We'll see what it looks like. You know, it looks like maybe not needing a Jordan Brown type of low post presence or a Brandon Ashley or a Zeke Naji. Not that you wouldn't take any of those types of players down low, but they may not be as necessary. But yeah, you're right, because unless that happens, Coloco is not the offensive threat that you can just throw the ball into and say, go to work and get a shot off, right? Like he can, he's improved offensively, but he's not that type of player. Ballo, we have no idea. You know, Tommy Lloyd has a better idea of what he can do, and he's a monster. Like, he's huge. But what type of skill does he have? Like, we don't know. He's a complete unknown. And then, yeah, after that, like, what do you have? Like, just just Azulis. That's well, it. And, so. <laughs> and even Azulis Tabellis, as great of a player as he is, he's more of a, a face-up four than, yeah. a, than a dump-the-ball-in guy. Um, you know, in an ideal world, one or both of uh, Coloco and Balo – at least become enough of a, you know, a physical threat in the post where they can draw double teams uh, or be a threat to score in the post. Kind of like how Jordan Brown was when he was aggressive. He was an effective offensive player. He was inconsistent as hell, but like, otherwise, you know, you can have all the shooting in the world, but if nobody is a threat inside, everybody's just going to face guard their shooters and they relied on but penetration. That kind of right? works the <laughs> other way around too, right? Cause like people say like, if you have a really good low post that frees up looks for the outside shooters. And it absolutely did. We saw that just Arizona didn't have the shooters to make anyone pay over the last handful of years. If you have really good shooters, that maybe opens things up for players who aren't as skilled. Cause you know, you could just get single coverage or just a lot more spacing for guys to operate down. Also, you could have it too where guys can just drive to the basket. 
You necessarily need yeah. to like I don't necessarily see this offense dumping the ball in the post, especially with the players they have. Sure, but it may not be a type we're going to dump the ball in the post and let someone go to work. Like it's good to have that ability, yes, but I just don't know if it's going to be as necessary. And I say this to someone just like, is that what? Not that I got watched a ton of Gonzaga. But that doesn't seem to be what their style of offense is. more free-flowing, and you get those good looks from the outside. And if you have players who can make those shots, then eventually it's going to all free drives up. And when that drive yeah. happens, when Kirk Kreese drives to the bucket, that's going to lead to an easy dunk for Coloco or Ballo, whoever is there, you know, ha- when the defender has to sag off of them. So, I, I mean, it's a lot of hypothetical, right? Like, so much of this roster, like every yeah. roster, it seems like it's hypothetical, especially the last couple of years. But this one, if you want to be like, yeah, that's a really good team, it's because you're expecting certain things to happen, not because you've seen it happen. And that's why getting someone like Kyra, who, yeah, he wasn't a world beater at Georgia, but double-digit points. I mean, Georgia wasn't a very good team, but he's shown he can do it at this level, right? And, like, you know, even Zulus Tabelsis' floor is what it is. Ben Matherin's floor is what it is. Other than that, those guys, I mean, if, they're, if those guys don't improve, they're still going to be good, useful players. But if they don't improve and no one else on the team does, they're not going to be any good. But like you're saying, if they all just take like that half a step forward or a step forward, like Pell Larson, that's an underrated guy too. And he can play and he can shoot. Like that's a guy I think people are going to really love. But if these guys do get better, then with the type of offense we are expecting to see, not that we know we're going to see because we have no idea, but the offense that we're expecting to see could be a really good fit for a team that doesn't necessarily have the low post scorer, but has guys who can finish down low. Like, I think there's probably that difference where, like, they don't have to be a back-to-the-basket spin move or whatever, but if they can finish under the basket or around the basket, then this team will be fine, and they may have guys who can do that. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a really important point, Adam. Um, of If you don't have that post threat, you know, that the, the way you can kind of, like, replace a post threat if you've got shooters and no inside guy to dump it down to is that it is the penetration game. And if you watch Kyer's highlights – that's that's one of mm-hmm. one of his biggest strengths, um, and so it it just it just makes the offense a bit more one dimensional in my mind, which is a little bit of a concern. And there's adjustments they'll make, and they'll you know I I'm confident that Tommy Lloyd and staff will modify the offense to try to like maximize those kind of things. Like it might be a lot of it might be like four out and a pick and roll in the middle, right? And yeah. try to penetrate. And that, that works though. Be, if you have the shooters, it can, works. It can be very effective, um, you know, it, especially against, a, you know, a generic college basketball team matchup. It can be very effective. You might run into some teams where, you know, a, a really super athletic team and you're going to struggle. Right. Um, I, I look at like last year's Baylor team. I'm not sure. I mean, well, look what they did to Gonzaga. Right. Right. They, they were an ultra athletic team that could kind of, you know, use their athleticism to offset the the free flowing nature and like the setup of everything. And they don't have to help off on penetration as much, but you're going to win a lot of games against teams that don't have that, that elite level athlete, um, you know, it, against a team like Baylor, not necessarily Baylor because they're obviously defending national champions, but like, I, I still would feel better if there was a post threat where you have the versatility to adjust your, your, you know, your game plan to the defense to try to set up your chan- your team for the best chance for success. But that's, it's getting a little bit nitpicky in the world of uh, a limited, you know, number of scholarships roster yeah. and limited minutes to go around. Well, and the one thing too, like before we head to break here on this one is that a lot of times when you think of teams that rely on their shooting, it's because they don't have size. This team's has size. 
it's not going to be a short team, you know, because usually you think, oh, like they shoot because that's all they have. They don't have any bigs. And this team shouldn't struggle against good teams like big teams defensively because they have the size to match up there. The question is, can Arizona's size outside of Azulis Tabellas put the ball in the basket with any consistency? And the answer to that, we don't know. But then the, the follow-up is, will they even need to? And, again, we don't know. But that's just kind of – you were saying, like, about how the super athletic teams – and, yeah, absolutely, that can be a problem. And then they gave – I mean, Baylor gave a lot of teams problems. <laughs> it wasn't just Gonzaga. And when they played Arizona a couple of years ago, they gave Arizona problems. You yeah. know, real, real problems. But just it's not going to be a small team. Like, Arizona has a big team. I mean, Kyra 6'4", even. You know, if he's playing some point for you, that's a pretty sizable point guard. And he's athletic, and he's a guy who can cut to the basket and everything like that. So, you just – I like the look of the team in theory, but I am with you. I would feel more comfortable if they had one more big they could count on. So, yeah, Jordan Brown still hasn't gone anywhere. He's in the portal, hasn't come out. So Jordan, <laughs> Jordan come back. Like if, if, you're, if you're listening to Wildcat Radio 2.0, Jordan Brown, we would like to see you back with Arizona next season. But even without him, obviously, there's still roster spots they could fill, and the, portal, the portal's still there. It's still a thing. There's plenty of players in it, and... Like, I don't know. It's it's weird because, like, I didn't hear of Justin Kyer until recently. You know, I mean, I didn't hear of Ty Ty Washington until it's like, oh, Arizona's recruiting this guy. And then you want them. And then you don't get them like, <laughs> oh, God, everything's horrible. You know, it's like, well, I, just because this two-week recruitment that they had, like, I don't, you know, so there's other players out there. And we may not even, some guys may still enter the portal, have yet to enter, but they will. We don't know. But just as the roster stands, there's not a lot of holes to fill. And going into this now, Tommy Lloyd's been the head coach for a little more than a month. And if you would say at this point he has a roster spot to fill, like the one thing he needs to fill is a backup power forward, you're probably feeling okay with things. Like if that's that's such a champagne problem to have at this point in the offseason, especially given the fact that he's a new coach, <laughs> you know, like he's his yeah. first year. So like you're right, and it's a thing that I think will get filled, and until it does, it can be a question mark. But it's where the roster is for year one of the Tommy Lloyd era. I believe month two of the Tommy Lloyd era. It could be a lot worse when the only thing you need is a backup power forward. Yeah, thanks, Sean Miller, for the nice roster. <laughs> I mean, largely. Like, but then you again, know, I mean, Tommy Lloyd had to keep them. Every one of them yeah. could have transferred. Some did, but every one of them could have. Recruiting starts at home, Adam. you got to keep what you already had when you're a new coach, right? Um, yeah, you know, and the funny thing is, like, you know, we kind of joke about it, but, like, it, honestly, Jordan Brown might be the perfect kind of guy that is like the guy off the bench that is the post guy that fills that, plugs that hole a little bit in the skill mm -hmm. set. And, and you know, who knows? It's nothing's over till it's over. But, you know, for, for two scholarships left, if, if I'm not even sure they use both of them, to be perfectly honest, if you can get one guy that uh, that can fill that role. And the other thing of Kyer is he's a one, like you mentioned, a one-year guy. So you're not committing to all these scholarships with the sanction questions uh, hanging over your head. Doesn't block uh, future recruits in terms of minutes. So, yeah, it's 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 still a little bit incomplete, but you're feeling good about it. But then I I do think about like teams that are similar to Baylor, and I think, oh, who are the who are those teams in the Pac-12? And I think, oh yeah, Oregon, UCLA have like a lot of good strong athletic guard play and wings, and that makes me nervous. But if those are the teams that Arizona's worried about, if you're saying, can they beat teams that, you know, one was in the final four last season, like if, those, if, if that's the level that we're concerned, I think it could be, we're, we're fine with things. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, if you get to the point where you're competing with UCLA and Oregon for the top of the Pac-12, then it's still a good season, no matter where it goes from there. And, of course, obviously, if you're thinking Baylor, then 
you know, the James and Kinjo revenge game would just be crazy. But like that that's the point, right? Like, if you get to that, if that's like, oh no, if they match up against Baylor, they're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, okay. I'd like to see that happen. <laughs> you know, that would mean only good things. Or like Baylor's a one seed, Arizona's a sixteen okay, so maybe not only good things, but mostly good things would come from that. You know, and then in the Pac twelve, I don't know if Arizona's supposed to be the favorite, probably not this season. But if you're saying it's like they're better than everyone like I don't worry about them against anyone other than Oregon and UCLA, I think yeah, that's that's fine. Can live with that. Yeah, and that's I think that's probably like the realistic target for this season. But it's also like my concerns are amplified by those two teams specifically of that of that scoring yeah. threat in the post. So we'll see, but let's take a break, Brad, and we come back. We did get some news with kickoff times and also some tip off stuff too. Like scheduling is happening. Everyone's excited for twenty twenty one. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. And, Brett, like, as we said before the break, like, people are, well, 2021 seems to be getting better. Things are getting more normal. We're seeing fans at games and everything. And it gives all these places confidence to, let's make schedules. Like, because these seasons, these games will actually happen. In the last week, we got some Pac-12 basketball pairings for, like, the next, like, 10 seasons. It's nuts. And then earlier this week, we got some kickoff times for five Arizona football games. You want to start with basketball or football? Uh, let's just start with basketball to continue it, though. I want to ask, are they bearing the lead with doing the next 10 seasons of the pairings that we're not going to see the mega conference merger in the next 10 years because they've already announced the schedules that far out? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I think Actually, it might only be the next five years. I exaggerated slightly. But still, ah. like you have those schedules here because they're obviously with the Pac-12, it's a little bit unbalanced. You don't get everyone the same amount every season. But, yeah, like nothing terribly notable for Arizona. I mean, this season, uh, they have an early matchup. They host Washington on December 2nd, and they go to Oregon State December 5th. Then they take their break and come back and have the rest of their Pac-12 schedule, which is, I guess they're not starting against ASU, so, you know, that tradition is mostly over with. You know, that always seems like to be the first Pac-12 game was like ASU somewhere. It's like, does it have to be during winter break? There's nobody in the stands. That's not, that's not cool. But... <laughs> Otherwise, this season, Arizona, you know, ASU, Cal, Colorado, Oregon State, Stanford, UCLA, USC, Utah, Washington, Oregon. You know, those are their home games. And then they have Washington State uh, at home, or on the road, rather, and they don't go to Oregon. So there you go. That's one less Oregon game to worry about for now. Yeah, considering my expressed concern for matching up with that team specifically on the road, you know, that's a that's a nice little a little you know, that can be the difference between third and fourth place in the Pac-12 or, or second and third if things go really well, right? I still um, hate that. I used to love the Pac-10, the round robin. Everyone played everyone. It was as fair as you could get. I mean, I'm just shocked they haven't said, hey, if we played, you know, two more games, we could make two more games worth of money. But, of course, it's not about the money in the NCAA or the conference, Adam. It's about the, it's about the student athletes. Yes, and the, ex- the experience of these student athletes and getting their educations. Everybody knows that. And, you know, the, the sanctity of amateurism. <laughs> it's on the highest level that must be. <laughs> but I, it's funny because, like, we've talked about the football schedules before, and everyone does. I'm not a big schedule guy because, obviously, especially with this basketball team, we don't know how good they're going to be anyway. Like, missing Oregon doesn't seem like a bad thing. You know, missing Oregon on the road especially. Matthew Knight Arena has yeah. not been kind to the Wildcats of late. But at the same time, like, we don't know. By the time these games would happen, maybe – 
teams are different. You know, players are suspended, injured, or just we don't know what these guys are going to look like. But we can safely assume that UCLA should be good next season. Uh, Oregon should be good next season. Other than that, the Pac-12 looks like a whole toss-up. I know everybody's like Oregon State, they made their tournament run, but they weren't that good anyway. They just got hot and had matchups and made a nice little run. Congratulations to them. But, like, you look at the Pac-12 schedule or just the Pac-12 as a whole, like you mentioned Oregon and UCLA. I'm not sure anyone else scares you or scares me, but also I say that as someone who has confidence that this Arizona roster is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, well, you look at, like, Last season's most disappointing guard, you, uh, ASU, you know, their best, most talented roster that, you know, finished below 500 in conference play. And now that roster is completely turned over. And wow, they have like two guys returning from last season and none of them I, are Remy like, Martin. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Are you are you starting for ASU next year? You have eligibility left. I don't well, know. They, who's they on have that the roster. best division two program in the country. Like they are a fantastic mid-major. Like, good for they the are, Devils. They are certainly a top two basketball program in the Metro Phoenix area. Like I'm looking for, like that's a whole separate discussion. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens to them because that's the transfer thing when you get a bunch of guys who are like they're they're all accomplished scorers at their previous schools, but they're all going to go to ASU and they're all used to being the man. What's going to happen? Like Bobby Hurley's never had the way of like having a system that guys conform to. So when you just roll the ball out there with guys who all feel like they should be like, I'm curious to see how this, I mean, it can't be any worse for them than it was last season. So you might yeah. as well try it, but I am interested to see how that goes with transfer you over there. I mean, they could be, yeah, they could be a pretty decent team if all goes well, or it could be another kind of like, wow, they are somehow less than the sum of their parts roster, which they seem to be last year. Um, and it's, you know, the, the bloom is a, it's seemingly off the rose of, of, coach Bobby Hurley a little bit. And there's, there's rumors that he wanted out at the end of last year. And maybe that, and that's one of the reasons why maybe he went to the transfer portal. So aggressively just, but he didn't go into it though himself, as far as we know. Well, there is no coaches transfer portal. Yeah. They just have, they just have agents talk. (laughs) But, but to that point though, like we don't know who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. Right. I mean, we have an idea. Like you said, he's bringing enough talent back from a really good team. Like, okay. Plus, Mick Cronin's doing a good job. They're like, that's going to be a good team. There's no reason why they shouldn't be very, you know, be quite good. Oregon is a team that you always, especially nowadays, you know they're going to be there. They're going to be a problem. But, you know, Colorado lost stuff. Oregon State lost. ASU lost their entire team. Cal wasn't very good. Stanford, you know, like they picked up some talent, but they've lost some too. USC obviously lost to the draft, Mobley. I, Washington was a dumpster fire last season. I guess Washington State got better, but they don't scare you yet. So, like, no. when we when we look at the perspective of this scheduling. I mean, when they play these guys, I guess now we have a better idea of when that is and who they're going to match up with. But the overall big picture is it's there for Arizona, you know? Yeah, and and a rare occurrence for Arizona, even losing James Akinjo and, you know, at least for now, Jordan Brown. Come back, Jordan. Um. Arizona has a, is a pretty known quantity that still has upside, right? Mm-hmm. Like Azulis Tabellis and Ben Matherin were behind James. You know, I'd say James Akinja was the best player, but of the young guys, they were clearly the best guys on the team. And you have guys like Dalen Terry and Kirk Carissa barely got his feet wet. Um, you know, got acclimated after all the eligibility issues and then some some minor injuries. You know, they're they're returning maybe more production than. They might have the most of any of the Pac-12 schools, to be honest, at least of the ones that are any good. Maybe. And 
we can honestly say the same for Arizona football. Like that schedule, we got some more information on too. They are an unknown quantity, and what they are bringing back doesn't necessarily excite you as much as, say, Arizona basketball does because Arizona football hasn't been very good over the last season and a half or so. But we know they're going to, you know, they open up against BYU in Vegas. That's a 7.30 kickoff. Uh, They play San Diego State, 7 p.m., NAU, 7 p.m. They got an October game against Washington at home at 7.30 p.m. And then November 19th, the Friday before the ASU game, they are at Washington State because it's always fun to come back from Pullman for that game. That's a 7 p.m. kickoff. If history is any indication, that game will be over by about 7.07. And, yeah. So that's what we know and, right now. And and now I know where I will be freezing my ass off uh, with <laughs> Ellie's family at Thanksgiving time <laughs> in Pullman, uh, watching Arizona, you know, trip all over themselves. Uh, <laughs> You've had a lot of fun up in those games before, I know. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just thankful that it's a Friday so that maybe then uh, it makes it a little easier for traveling for us from a, a <laughs> you know, me and Ellie perspective, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't know if we can glean anything from the start times other than me selfishly for that Washington state game, which is my most likely road game <laughs> other than ASU to attend, uh, for, for personal reasons. But as a season ticket holder, I see at least the first couple of home games and say, thank God they're at least not eight, eight fifteen starts. Yeah. I mean, it, it's Arizona. What's unfortunate is obviously, well, We'll see what happens in like the October and November games because that's when the weather cools down. That's where if you're going to have day games, you'd like to have your day games. You know, like you can you understand like September, you're not going to have anything earlier than a seven o'clock kickoff. If you, it'd be irresponsible to schedule that. But hopefully, and it probably comes down to how good Arizona is or how bad Arizona is, right? Like if they surprise and are competitive, then they might get a few more prime spots. But if they're as bad as a lot of people think, and the odds, I think I saw the recent odds were like two and a half was the the betting line for Arizona, two and a half right. wins this season. Yeah. Like if they're the under, then you can expect those more seven o'clock, seven thirties and eight o'clock kickoffs. Cause they don't want anyone watching them, you know, but at the very least it's <laughs> like, there's such an unknown right now, even more than the basket, the men's basketball team. Cause one, we still don't know who the quarterback's going to be brand new offense, brand new defense. They did add some talent. I, like I'm excited. It's a fresh start. Yeah. And, you know, BYU in Vegas, that's a fun way to start things. And BYU's lost most of their roster. So, like, that's a game where who knows. But, yeah, it's at 730. Yeah, and, and unfortunately for, for Arizona, uh, going to a game in Las Vegas, they're not going to reap the benefits of the other team maybe partaking of Vegas as, as much as what it has to offer when they're playing BYU as other schools. <laughs> um, you know, but, yeah, BYU has – is has as many or more question marks bluntly than Arizona. Um, and you know, you talked about the two and a half and I, maybe it's just the Homer in me, but I, I think that's, I, I feel pretty good about the over on that. Um, just cause I think BYU is beatable. I think San Diego state's beatable. You better beat NIU. If you lose to NIU, then, then yeah, the under looks, looks so the good. losing streak should end by September 18th. <laughs> so that we're at 12 right now so at most it should get to 14 yeah lucky number 14 yeah <laughs> um but you know i i think there's a realistic chance of coming out of non-con play with 
at least two wins. And then I think you're going to steal a Pac-12 win as long as it doesn't become a disaster at the quarterback spot. But, you know, that's a that's a that's a big question mark that makes me concerned. Well, and the nice thing, too, at least with the non-conference schedule, like they should beat NAU. I don't care. Even NAU's best teams have never been competitive with some of Arizona's worst teams. So that one, you should be able to chalk it up as a win. If it's not, then, oy. But BYU and San Diego State, they're winnable games. Not a, and they're not powerhouse teams, but they're not also just the dregs of college football. So if Arizona, how they play against those programs could give you an idea of just how good this team might be, how much better, how much more improved they are. And granted, when injuries take their toll, as they more often do, that won't be evident in September. So yeah. part of the issue is going to be if it's depth, we won't necessarily see that in week one you know, or week two. But we might have a decent now, grant after the non-conference, they go to Oregon. So, ugh. You know, a new losing streak should definitely start September 25th, you know, but I, I, it's, there's excitement and having those kickoff times, like it kind of adds more realism to it, right? It just brings it that much closer that, okay, like knew they were playing. Now, you know what time they're playing some of these games. And if Arizona, like 7:30 on ESPN, September 4th against BYU. So obviously that game is buried, but if Arizona plays well, if they are two and one after that switch, if they're three and zero oh, going into conference play, a little bit more buzz and some of those spots, some of those kickoff times, like at Oregon, might be an afternoon kickoff. You know, versus UCLA, you might get that. Like, who knows? But I just do like that it's another step towards a season that is, I guess we can't be certain, but it looks like it's going to happen as scheduled. And Arizona will have a chance to maybe earn better kickoff times with their play. Yeah, and as as somebody that um, is a season ticket holder, I'm excited at the notion to be able to go. Uh, Mother's Day, actually, Adam, we went. Um, my my sister and brother-in-law are members in the new fancy club that looks over the football uh, field in the in the north end zone. And boy, it just made me miss live sporting events and football in, in Arizona stadium, even for the games where they're terrible, it's still a fun time. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Well, but let's take one more break here and we come back. We're going to talk about some Arizona teams that aren't terrible actually, as they are in tournaments, heading to tournaments and just have a chance to win some championships. All right, welcome back to Wildcat radio 2.0 and Brett, Arizona, especially like the spring sports, have had some really good success. I guess we should note that Arizona soccer head coach Tony Amato, he was hired away by Florida, which is you hate to see it. Other than it's like it's nice to have your coaches hired away rather than leaving by fire. He did a good job turning that program around. So good luck to him. And, of course, Arizona has to find a new you – know, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, wait, we can, we can have coaches that uh, we don't pay to go away? Yeah. <laughs> Like, so that's, that seems, that seems like a, a smarter financial investment and like Arizona women's soccer, they did not make their tournament. There was a lot of thoughts that they should have that they got hosed on that one, but where things are at now, softball did well in their Tucson regional. I uh, got out of that and baseball of course is wrapping up their season here and a chance. Obviously I think I saw their most predicted like the number four overall seed. So those are a couple programs, uh, women's golf team. They made it deep into the tournament too, but ended up losing um, a close match. So there's been a lot of good things happening for Arizona athletics. Obviously, Tony Amato leaving is not one of them, but contextually, it's like you'll take it. But just baseball, softball, softball especially, they went into things kind of, you know, they had an up-and-down-ish season, 
more up than down. But they went out and took care of business at home in their regional. And now they have a few more games Friday, Saturday, Sunday, playing Arkansas. So, you know, that's where they're at. When I And uh, I think that they are now uh, opening up capacity increasingly for those games, uh, for the, at least the ones at home. Like I know baseball has a good chance of hosting some mm-hmm. uh, we talked about in the past. So not just the, the benefits of playing in your home stadium from knowing the angles and the, the you know, how the field plays, but having that motivation there is going to hopefully enhance. Um, and yeah, you know, softball has been a little bit, Good, but a little bit wobbly. It's it's good to see them take care of business, and we'll see how they uh, can kind of progress for the through the postseason. Yeah, they got to go on the road this time to beat Arkansas for a chance to well to reach the women's college world series. And but it was good to see them take care of business at home because and I know they had the huge comeback in one of the games where they were down by a lot and just rallied back. And you love I me, mean, you kind of hope that that's a springboard. You know, like they need the pitching, of course, but they're there. And when you give yourself a chance, like you're two wins away from the women's college world series. And once you're there, you have a chance to run the table. Of course, baseball, who won the Pac-12 over the weekend. So congratulations to Jay Johnson and his team. They're finishing up their regular season, but that's another team that seems to be peaking at a very good time. And they had some comebacks, too, to win the Pac-12. Like They were down against Oregon State, and they made a furious rally and came back in that one. So I don't I mean if they, if they use a bat, they're doing pretty well. Bats and gloves for Arizona Athletics are doing really, really well. And, of course, it's not a surprise because Arizona softball is a power, and baseball has been that level, not a power, but in the conversation for the better part of since Jay Johnson got there. Yeah, I mean, talk about uh, – I think you can look back, and he was probably – he was a Greg Byrne hire, right? Uh, yeah. Jay Johnson? Yeah, one of the last you ones, know, yeah. Got to be one of the most successful ones, right? Um He's done pretty well uh, overall, and there's a nice balance. There's, the pitching is coming on. Um, the, the bats have been there, like you said, all season. Uh, I'm I'm super excited to actually have the opportunity to get to you know more easily watch some of these games as they as they migrate from the gulag that is the Pac-12 network onto <laughs> national TV. Um, and it you know it's 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 a it's a it's a Fun annual time as an Arizona, the casual Arizona fan, I think, for women's softball to once they get on ESPN to get to watch those games and where it's it's such high stakes in the postseason. Uh, I'm I'm just super excited to watch and see see how both the the men and the women's teams can do. Yeah, yeah. So the women's super regional play in Arkansas this weekend for a chance to go to the women's college world series. The Pac-12 champ Arizona men's baseball team. They are wrapping up their regular season before we'll find out what their postseason fate is. But it seems likely they're going to get to play at High Corbett which will be advantageous for the reasons you laid out. They know the angles, and they'll have capacity fans. So we'll see. But if you're an Arizona Wildcats fan, like we've had some good news shows and less good news shows, and this one felt like a good news show. You know, with basketball uh, getting a transfer. Yeah. yeah. Basketball got a transfer. Uh, football got a schedule or more of a schedule. And some of the spring sports are, they're rolling. So a lot of exciting things to look forward to. Uh, with Arizona Athletics, but I think, Brett, I think that'll do it for this week's show. Um, make sure, everyone, appreciate you I listening. So. Make sure you are uh, subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, so you can find us there. Uh, find us on Twitter, at Wildcat Radio AZ. Plenty of content coming from there. Even Wildcat Radio uh, 
12 pack radio you're going to see a lot more content who is not just wildcat radio not just us there's other voices too on the network which you know we like us but they're not too bad either so thanks for listening we'll catch you all next week and until then remember to bear down bear down